Uh, We are in the book of Acts. If you've joined us, you've been here, we've been kind of chugging through it. We're now in chapter three. We did it. We got through two whole chapters, and it's only taken four or five weeks to do that. So we've been moving through that, seeing the church, what God is doing, how it functions, how the Holy Spirit's role has played in the shaping and the growth of the church, how the gospel's been being proclaimed. And we're in this spot this week that made me kind of think back to where I was at for a while. And I was in Seattle for almost five years, and I had uh, currently, before that, I was in the Antelope Valley. And we had seen homelessness, and we had done homeless ministries, and we, we understood what that looked like. Well, then we went to Seattle, and Seattle is a different animal. I, it's, it's hard to describe the homelessness in Seattle. It's hard to describe what it looks like when depravity is able to move without any bounds, where people pursue what they think is going to bring them freedom, what's going to bring them joy. And so with the homelessness came a lot of the drug use, and then came a lot of the mental illnesses that came out of that. And my job at times on Sunday, I don't talk a lot about this particular part of my ministry, but I would get to church every week on Sunday, and I would grab my bucket, and I would grab my gloves, and I would grab my little, my little you know, pincher things, and I would pick up all the needles that were all around the building. We had a shovel. And maybe you have a shovel if you have a dog at home. We had a shovel for people that we would go around and we would pick up around our building. And not to say around our building, I mean on our building, on our property. We saw the homelessness in a way where everywhere you went, someone was asking for money all the time. They were asking for food. They were asking for help. And it was a... It was very interesting. We would walk out of our doors and we would have to step over people that had just shot up and that were just completely out of their mind. I watched a man have his heart compressed as he was dying right next to our building. These, These people felt like this was going to be a way that was going to bring me some kind of happiness. And what they found is that sin got a harder, firmer grip on their lives. And I remember one one individual, his name is Jason, and we, we knew all of our homeless guys. We talked with them. We spent time with them. Uh, we tried to help them the best we could without enabling them. I remember Jason, uh, he used to go to one of our, our mother churches that we were kind of an offshoot of, and so he was at that church, and he was in a community group or a life group as we call him here, and he was engaged, and he was active. He had heard God's truth, and through a series of events, Jason became homeless, and then Jason got addicted to heroin. And then he got stuck in this vicious cycle where he couldn't get out, and he'd hang around our building all the time. We'd talk with him, and we'd try to engage him and help him the best we could. I remember one time, the church across the street had said, hey, you know, we want to help you, Jason, and if you go through the dry spell of getting the heroin out of your system, we'll take you to the methadone clinic. We'll, we'll take you there. And so if you don't understand how that works, to get heroin out of your system, you go through massive withdrawals. It's a horrible experience. They say it's like going, walking through death to get there. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. And so Jason took the three days and went through all the withdrawals. And they said, if, I'll be here on this day and I'll drive you to the methadone clinic. Well, that person never showed up. Just thinking about it makes me furious and sad at the same time. And so I come into work early that morning and, and there's a commotion across the street and there's an ambulance and there's fire trucks and I see Jason. So I hop out of my car and I run I'm like, Jason, what's going on? Like, what's, what's happening, man? Like, what, what's going on here? 
And he's like, I did what they said. I did what they said. They promised they'd take. And he's just, you know, he's clearly in a different state of mind at this point. And at that point, the, the, the firemen, they're like, we got to get him to a hospital. Like, and he's like, take me to the methadone clinic. He's like, we can't do that. We're not allowed to. So they're putting him on the gurney. And I remember he's looking at me in the eyes and he just started screaming, help me, help me, help me. And I'm looking at him and I just don't know what to do. And I'm praying for him, and I'm like, Jesus, it's going to be okay. When you get out, come to the church. I will help you. We'll get you to where you need to go. I called the methadone clinic. I tried to see if I could get him there. Like, all these, it, there was so much involved. And I remember feeling helpless in that moment. Like, how can I help this individual who's clearly suffering, who's clearly going through the pains of being chained to sin and addiction? And he drove away, and I never saw Jason again. And I tell this story because I think that it's connected to where we're going this morning. And it's connected to what do you do when you see people in need? What do you do when there are those that are suffering, when there are those in desperate situations, when sin has its grips and its claws on somebody? How do you engage and what do you bring to that individual that can truly save them? If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open them up and go to Acts 3, 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible and you're new, there's Bibles in front of you. Just grab one of those. Use it if you want. Take it. Keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, if you're not sure how to kind of navigate the Bible, it's fine. It'll all be up on the screen and you can follow along with me. Starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going to the, up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and he did, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, raise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I ask that you would illuminate our minds this morning with the truth of who you are. Lord, I ask that we press into this story that seems like it's a, it's a good, neat story. Help us to see what you're trying to tell us, what you're communicating to us, what you would want us to glean and learn about you through this story. Holy Spirit, I do ask that as you use me this morning, that you would speak through me, that you would remove things that I shouldn't be saying, that you would add things that need to be communicated, but that you would not allow me to put up walls or barriers to the gospel, but that the gospel would go forward and would penetrate the hearts of men and women no matter where they are, whether they need to hear it for the first time today or they need to hear it for the thousandth time today because there's an area where they're not trusting and believing you. We love you. We praise you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen. 
So this is uh, important in the story of the church because it's the first miracle that was taking place, the first miracle that we see, and we need to start asking some questions. Why is this miracle recorded? Why is this miracle in the Bible? What is it supposed to show us? What can we learn from this? As I said last week, these miracles were used to authenticate God's hand on the apostles. And I showed the parallel between how the same was done with Jesus just a few verses uh, previous to that. Now, we have to understand that Jesus did a lot of miracles, right? We talk about Jesus, we read Jesus, and you can't get around the fact that miracles were being done all the time. But if you start to look at the miracles and what was going on, they tend to revolve around the suffering of men and women. That there is something going on in the life of an individual, and there's suffering there, and Jesus takes the opportunity to do some kind of miracle, which then alleviates takes care of, cures that suffering in some way, shape, or form. And what we talked about is that there is always a deeper message to those miracles. The miracles are not about miracles. They were teaching something else that we need to understand. At times, it would teach about the world or it would teach about God. It shows us at times what God is doing in the world. It shows us parts of our heart that we don't want to expose, that we, won't, we don't want to talk about. But what we really see at the end is it deals with this spiritual truth that's going on in the world that we may not see, that he's taking a physical example and he's saying that this relates to a spiritual problem that you have in your life. And if you start to slow down as you read, you'll start to see the correlations that take place in it. So what I want to do I want to paint the story as if we were there. Sometimes we can read this and we're not really, we just read it and go, oh, that's a story, that guy was healed. But I like to kind of go back and walk through the story. And then after we're done, I want to talk about what God is going to say to us through that story. And I'm using a lot of scripture and it's okay. It'll be on our app. You can go to our app and get all those things. Uh, It'll be on the screen, but just, let's just kind of walk through it and make sure we understand what's going on. So we see that there's some things that are happening. And what I want to make sure you understand is in this story, there is gospel implications all throughout it. What the gospel does and how people live and what happens in their life is all in this story. And I'm going to kind of keep pointing out, hence the name of this particular sermon, because the gospel. That is why we named it what it is. Now, if you know some of the apostles, you know Peter and John, it was, they didn't have a rivalry but there was tension. You ever notice there's a little bit of tension with John and Peter as they're going to the Bible? And it was a little bit of a competition. Like, I'm the better apostle, or Jesus likes me more, or I'm going to be more faithful, or I'm going to be more bold. And you see these little things and how they write and what they do, that there's a little bit of tension. Now, both of them had brothers involved in ministry with them. But we're at a point now in the story where Peter and John have become closer than brothers. And you have to start asking, why are, why are these guys who had a little bit of, you know, competition, why are they acting the way they are now? It's because of this, because the gospel transforms relationships. That's what the gospel does all the time. And so now what they're doing is they're going to the temple, they're going to pray, and they're going to worship, and it's around 3 p.m. So that ninth hour translates to 3 p.m. If you're wondering, what does that mean? And what we see is this, is that where once they had other jobs where they worked and what they did, they no longer do those. They have cast aside their old jobs. Peter was a fisherman. He had a family business. He kind of gave that up when he followed Christ. He went to go back to it. He saw Jesus again. He's like, nope, I'm done with this. 
And so he has this new job. And the new job is kind of easy in the sense that I can say it, it's hard in what he did. Pray and preach the good news of Jesus to everyone. That's kind of what his new job became, that they would pray, they would go to the temple, they'd worship God, and they'd talk about Christ and who he is. Why? Because the gospel transforms our priorities, where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, and what we do. And then all of a sudden, this handicapped guy enters into the story, into the scene of where we are. He's brought over to the temple gate. And there's some debate on which gate it was. It doesn't, it's not really that important to the story. But what he's going on is he, is he is there in a place where there's worship, where people come to worship God, and he's looking for money. And so he positions himself in a very strategic area. Like, I know there's going to be a lot of foot traffic. And there's going to be a lot of people coming by, and there's going to be a lot of people that might have a lot of guilt in their life, and a lot of times people give money because they feel guilty, and I'm going to be that guy that's going to help them get rid of their guilt, and I'm going to ask for money, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, remember, he hasn't been able to walk his whole life. How You got to get your mind around this. He's never walked his entire life, and yet all he sees is people walking all the time. It's got to be a bizarre place to be. And he's in this spot where he knows that I can't change what's happened in my life. I don't have the ability to heal myself. There's nothing I can do. There's no medical needs. There's no technology. There's nothing that can happen. So I have friends and family every day pick me up, carry me to where I need to go so I can make money. This is the only thing that I can do to survive. This is the only thing that I have in my life. I go to the same spot all the time, ask the same people for money. Think of the amount of humiliation that's involved in that. If you've ever been carried, it's humiliating. It's, I can't do this on my own. Someone else has to bear my weight to do the thing that I can't do. Whether you've been injured in sports, you've been carried up the field, you've ever been in an ambulance, I've been in an ambulance and a helicopter, it's a little humiliating. Those are stories for another day, but those have legitimately happened. But there's a humiliation in knowing like I don't have the ability to survive on my own, so now I am reliant on others for my basic needs of survival. Think about that. Like, this is your life. I mean, he's, he's come to a place where the amount of suffering that he's endured is overwhelming. His life is one long story of suffering, of frustration, of humiliation. That's his lot. He's probably come like, this is my lot. This is what it is. Like, this is not going to change. There's nothing that's going to make this better. This is the life that I have to deal with. No one can make it right. I just have to learn to accept that this is what it looks like for me for the rest of my life. Well, he sees Peter and John. He goes, ah, the first customers of the day. So I'm going to ask them for some money. Maybe you've experienced that. Someone's asked you for, for some money, like like happened to me in Seattle. Every time that happens, you have to make a decision, whether you pretend to look at your phone like you're answering a phone call or not, whether you're, you know, oh, the sun's in my eyes, I can't look to the left because that's where the guy, like, whatever. You have to make a decision. What will I do with this moment? What will I do with this individual? And so what we see is that Peter, he looks right at him. He says, look at us. It's, that's like, whoa, it's a command. Look at us. 
And there's something that happens that's unique. It says, look at me in the eyes because we're about to have a moment where we connect. We're about to have a moment where I see you and you see me. There is something powerful about the connection of eye contact, right? Even if it's just for a second, like you can see someone, not say a word, make eye contact, and you have this moment where you've literally communicated to each other in some moment. Because there's something about looking someone in the eyes that brings the humanity of that person to reality. It's not just some thing that wants something from me, but there is a person there that they have a soul, that they were made in the image of God. Suddenly that person that's asking for something is an image bearer. And it goes the other way too, right? Suddenly the person asking isn't just somebody that I'm trying to get something from for my own personal gain, but that is an image bearer of God that has worth, value, and dignity because they're made in the image of God. Why does that happen? Because the gospel connects us. The gospel connects us together in who we are as people, and it lets us see the world in different eyes that we didn't see before. And as we look at someone, it connects us in a way that we couldn't. At this point, the beggar's like, sweet, not only am I asking for money, not only did these guys stop what they were doing, I'm probably going to get something. He says, look at me, and he's probably thinking this, this is a good situation, because what happens at religious places, we want people to see how righteous and holy and wonderful we are, and we want to draw attention to that, right? Like, you know, when you, like, you write a big check, you're like, my hand hurts from all the zeros as you're writing that check. Or you, you know, you make sure when you put the money in, like, the, the big bills on top, when you're, like, slowly putting it in the basket. Anyone? Anyone see that? So he's thinking, great, this guy is going to posture up. He wants everyone to see how generous he is. I'm going to make some serious coin off this dude. So he's amped. He's like, all right, I got eye contact. I got a big giver. We're going to score today. Peter then goes, I have no silver or gold. All of a sudden, all the happiness, all the joy, all the hope is dashed upon the rocks of the suffering that he's endured his entire life. And he's like, really, dude? Like, what's going on? Like, there's this thing that's happening where he's just like, I just want to make some money. I know that I need money to survive. Money is the thing that's going to take away some of the suffering that I'm enduring in my life. And if I can just get more of that, that will help me. But then Peter says this other thing. He says, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And if I was that dude, I'm like, dude, you just shut me down on the money part, okay? Like, whatever, your prerogative. Now you're going to mock me and tell me to get up and to walk. I can't walk, friend. I'm on the ground. Remember the guys that brought me in? This is not something that's going to happen. You know what? I'd rather you just walk by and not look at me or just give me some money because that's what I need. And what Peter does is great. Peter reaches down and grabs his hand. That's a powerful moment. That's a powerful moment because you know why? The gospel involves us in the lives of others. 
And so he is physically reaching out. There is something unique about touching someone. Now, I've had to do some pretty crazy things in Seattle with homeless people and where they are, but there is something that changes when you physically shake someone's hand, you help them up, you help put clothes on them, you help get them to where they need to go, to where they, you are there's human contact, human touch. There's a connection. And the gospel should drive us to be involved in the lives of others, no matter what we do. And he raises them up, and it says, immediately, the man's ankles were made strong. <clears throat> it didn't take a few days. It didn't take a few weeks. It wasn't take a pill and get back to me. And, and over the next year, he was able to jump and run. That's not what happened. <clears throat> and here's, here's what I love. It... It happened immediately, and it was better than being healed because he was made strong. It wasn't like, oh, I can walk. It's like, no, he's strong. This was not um, that idea of, uh, oh, what is it, like Bambi, right? You know, Bambi's born. is like, get up, Bambi, and walk. And Bambi's legs are about to snap in half because it can't stay up. Or you see a baby horse get up, and they're going to fall over. You're like, that's scaring me. Like, you need to lay back down. That is not what happened. What ended up happening is it says that this man immediately stood up. His feet were strong and his ankles were strong. And he didn't just stand up. He started jumping, leaping around. I mean, you ever done CrossFit? Like, there's a lot of jumping. It takes a lot of work, a lot of energy. You got to be strong to do that. And here's this guy who could never walk in his entire life. And the first thing is, he doesn't start walking. He starts jumping even harder. And so he's jumping around praising God. And it's funny because as, as, he, as he's doing this, he knows who to praise. Who's he praise? He praises God. And he's praising God, and he knows that there's something connected to this guy, Jesus, of who was just said, in the name of Jesus, get up. So now he knows there's something there, but he said, Jesus Christ. And that's important because that's a title. See, the Christ was the one that was going to save God's people. Another word used for that was Messiah, the one that would come and save and set the people free. So he's hearing this, and there's a proclamation of the name of who he is, but he knows within this idea, this anointed Savior, this Christ, something's different because the gospel is the power of God, and there's power in what God is doing. This Jesus just helped me. He just made me so I could run and I could jump. And you know what's great? I love what happens is there's this moment where he clings to Peter and he clings to John. It's almost like he felt like, if I let go, I might be crippled again. Like, I've tasted this new life. I am now able to do something that I never could, and I don't want to be far from these guys. If these are the guys that healed me, I want to be close to them. And he's like hanging on them. He's praising God. He's jumping. I mean, it's a weird scene. And he's going into the temple. Like, why? Why is he clinging to him? Because the gospel gives you a new life. And once you've had that new life, you can't go back to the old one. There's nothing about that old life that makes you want to go back to it, that makes you want to return to it. Once you have tasted this new life that God gives, it transforms us. It makes us different. And as he walks into the temple courtyard, everyone who knew him, everyone who has seen him his entire life, they're going, that's the dude. That's the guy on the ground that we see day in and day. For years we've seen, this is not some made up thing. This is that guy. 
as they look at them, they see him shouting praises to God that he has just been healed. And it says that they were in awe, that they were in wonder of what had just happened. Why? Because the gospel leaves people in awe when it transforms lives. So you guys start asking some questions. What do we do with this story? Like, there's a lot going on. It sounds great. It feels good. Now, remember, every time Jesus did a miracle, it was to point to something bigger. There's a bigger truth there. This is no different. It was to point to a spiritual truth or a picture about a relationship with God and how his new kingdom works, and that's what they're doing here. And I want to point out a few things that might make this make more sense. First, that there's a broken relationship. This man and his ailment was a picture of our broken relationship with God because of sin. That's what we need to understand. Now, let me put it this way. We know humans have arms and legs and ears and eyes and nose and mouth and all these things. And they're all there for a reason, right? We know that if one's gone, it's, it's, there's something that's not right. We know when something doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Like, we've designed the world to work for people that are upright and bipedal, right? Like, that's how we've designed the world to work. We've designed things with how we use our hands to work with things that we do. And when you can't use those appendages in that way, It becomes extremely difficult to function in that world. And that's not a jab or a slight at someone who doesn't have that. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, we have gone to a place where we actually make codes where we build buildings so people that can't walk, if they can't walk, can get in a building. And we take notice when we can't use those parts. Because you know why? We were designed to work in a certain way. And when we don't, we take notice of that because it's not the way it was designed. That's what's going on here. You see, sin separates us from God. His design for humans was to be connected to him. Like, that's the whole point. In the garden, where was God? With them, right? He was always meant to be connected to God. And when sin entered the world, what happened? They were kicked out of the garden, right? They were separated from God. And so now we're going to start getting to a bunch of passages. Isaiah 59, 2 would say, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There is a separation because of sin that takes place in the world that we have to deal with now. There's a reality to that. Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2.12 would say, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This disconnection has caused everything to go sideways. There's, There's nothing that works the right way now. Everything is messed up. And in Romans 8, Uh, 8.19, it would say, for the creation waits with eager longing, maybe your translation says groaning, for the revealing of the sons of God. Even the physical world that we live in does not work the way that it's supposed to because sin has entered it, that death has come and has ruined everything. 
Nothing is functioning the right way. Even the earth knows this is not how we were made. It's meant to be different. You want to talk about whether you believe in global warming and what's happening in the world. There's a, there's a problem. Something's happening. This is because of sin. Sin is the result of where the world is going. We need to understand that. And it tells us that uh, the man's suffering this, this man's suffering is a result of sin, that sin has caused this in a fallen, broken world, and that we were not designed to live this way, that we are not designed to live in this, this way that, that we function. See, walking and not walking represents our inability to please God with our life. And this man as a cripple is not able to please God with his life. See, not, hear what I'm saying. It's the parallel that I'm talking about. Right? We can't please God with our life because of sin. It has ruined everything. The Bible would use words like dead and alive to show the, the contrast of what sin did with our relationship with God. In Ephesians 2, what is it? Ephesians 2 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and followed in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Dead, right? That's the idea. It's like we're dead. We can't do it. And it, the other thing we need to understand is that we were, this sin that we deal with, we have inherited it and we commit it, right? So as sin entered the world through Adam, all have inherited sin because of that. And we sin on our own. So not only have we inherited sin, we commit sin constantly. It's a part of our DNA now because of what sin has done. It's a part of us. Like, it's what we do. Anyone have small kids? Who, who teaches them to bite people? Do you teach your kids to bite people? Total depravity. I'm just saying, that's a, that's a great example for us to understand. <laughs> it says this in Romans, <laughs> Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. See what it's saying? Like, and, and, and just hear this, you're like, well, that's not fair. I wasn't there in the garden. I wouldn't have eaten from the tree. Wrong! You would have. Adam and Eve were the perfect representation of humanity, and all of us would have done the exact same thing. We might have done it quicker. Think about that. That's why that's what it is. It says he was poor. Why is that important? Because of sin, we are bankrupt before God. Unable to pay the debt of sin that we've accumulated. Romans 6.23 say, for the wages of sin is death, right? That there is money kind of sit there. Uh, Colossians 2.14, the canceling of debt. Those verses, those ideas, they're correlating our sin and what we accumulated with God and that we are unable to do that, that there is a wage for sin, it is death, that there is a way that this debt can be canceled and it ain't through us, all right? It's not through what we're doing. But it points to what we really need. This man wanted something. What did the man want? Money. Money's going to fix my suffering. Money's going to ease my suffering. Money's going to make it so I can live. It's really the problem. It's the thing that I'm dealing with. I need money to take care of my problem. 
Psalm 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, the way to death. We think we know what we need in life, don't we? We think we know, if I just had this, things would be better. If I had this, I'd be happy. If I had this, I'd have joy. If I had this, I'd have less suffering. And we look for these things in life all the time that we think are going to bring us joy. If only I had a spouse, because there's never problems after you get married, right? (laughs) If only I had some kids, because they are just lovely. (laughs) Mine are. Mine are. If I just had a friend, someone that could be around me, we know that friends hurt us and betray us. If I just had more money, I could pay my bills and it would ease the tension and the pressure and the stress that I have at home. If I could just get this job, this job would be the thing that I need to do what's going to ease the suffering of my life. If I could just get into the right school, I'd get the right education, which would get me the job, which would get me the money, which would get me the house, which would get me the spouse, and then you got the kids. If I could just get this car, if I could just get this thing, what, you name it. If I could just have this person removed from my life, my life would be better. If this ailment that I was dealing with right now would just go away, there wouldn't be any more suffering in life. Can we just say that that's a lie? Can we just be honest right now, right? One suffering ends and another one begins, doesn't it? There's always suffering in the world. And there's this idea of like, if I can just have this thing, all suffering goes away. That is a lie from the enemy. That is not true. We live in a fallen, broken world, and there is going to be suffering until Christ returns. That's just what it is. And so we need to understand there's something more going on here that there is a way that we can endure suffering differently. See, for this man, it was money. Peter knew that he needed something better than some change. He even says silver and gold, like, I could give you all this stuff, but I can give you what's better. This is a picture that God offers something better to us than what we are pursuing and chasing after in life. The gospel offers life abundantly, abundantly reconnected to the Father as the source of all life and joy. And because we are connected to the source of all life and joy, we have the ability to deal with and grow from suffering now. See, suffering is going to come, but when you're connected to the all-powerful God of the universe who is a source of life and joy, we can push through those events. And not only that, we can grow through those events and we can be more like Christ, because it said Christ was acquainted with what? Suffering and sorrow, right? He understood it. God knows that we need Jesus, not something else. He is the best thing. He is the cure to our brokenness, the thing that will save the world and connect us back to God. It also says that Jesus heals us completely in this situation. he was made strong when Jesus meets us where we are and he solves our sin problem we are made new in 1 Peter 
2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be die to sin and live to righteousness, that he makes us new. In Isaiah, Isaiah 53.5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He makes us new. He heals us completely. He makes us more than we were. That there is something that Jesus does to our hearts that brings us back to where we should be, the way that we were designed to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 would say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what he does when we come to him. He makes us new. He heals us completely. And we are to be then the way we were designed to be connected to the Father. When this man was leaping, the word that's used there is actually really unique. And it would have actually, every Israelite would have cued into that word because it's not used many places. It's a very unique word that's used in this context. And Isaiah 35, 6 says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, that may not mean anything to you. But Isaiah 35 is actually talking about the messianic age that's going to come. That the Messiah would save those who trust in him and that they would have everlasting joy and that that day was coming. What's being proclaimed in this section is actually saying the day is here. The day is now. You can have joy. You can have life. And you can be connected to the Father once again. And that's blind. this man leaping for joy is evidence and proof and fulfillment of prophecy in that moment. Peter didn't heal this man, by the way. Who healed him? Jesus. It says, in the name of Jesus. And as I was doing some research and looking at some of the translations that are a little bit better is by, by the power of, and not like by the power of grace school, but by the power of Jesus, or because Jesus has given me the power, or because Jesus has the power. So it's the power of Jesus that actually healed this man, not Peter. The power was a simple gospel proclamation. Jesus, this man that you killed, is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one to save God's people. It is like this really short message packed with meaning and depth, and it was understood. And next week, we're going to dive into more of what that looks like as Peter then launches into the sermon that that shoots off of this. The other thing is it's changed lives, praise God. When God saves and transforms men and women, it stirs up in us praise for God, a God who saves out of his goodness, out of his mercy, out of his care for us. It's not by what we have done, by any shape of the imagination. This is something I just need us to hear. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm. 
You know why he was praising God? Because God did the work. Because he didn't do it and Peter didn't do it. He didn't go, you know what, today's the day. I'm just going to walk. Let's get up and do this. Nope. He knew that something supernatural had happened and he gave credit to where credit was due, to God. And with salvation, credit is due to God and God alone. It is not by our works. It's not by our abilities. It's not by being righteous. It's not by performing. None of those things do anything. And he's saying that this message is available to all who call on the name of God. You might be saying, Simon, you're you're reaching pretty hard in this gospel thing. I think you're taking liberties. Well, you're wrong, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because what's going to happen is we are actually, the next three weeks we're looking at this one situation, right? And the situation goes like this. Peter and John are there when this man is healed. That leads to a giant sermon where they then talk about how this man's healing is the gospel story, and he he proclaims that, and then that leads to persecution. And so that's what's going to happen in these three parts that we're going to look at. And the reality is, is that there is something powerful happening in this moment where God wants us to understand how the gospel works, how it correlates to those that are in need, and our responsibility in that. You may be like, well, I can't heal people, Simon. I can't either. If I could, I'd walk into every hospital and just start sending people out and really messing up healthcare. That's what I would do. I have that gift. Like, well, I don't either. So what, what do we do with this? How do we live this out? Romans 1.16 says this. I love this passage. We should all know it because we actually memorize it, yes? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's what I'm saying. We are the cripple in this story. It, that, that's our life. That's our spiritual life is that we are crippled because we don't have the ability to walk in a way that brings God glory in any way, shape, or form. You can't take away suffering. But we know the one who gives us the power to overcome it. If the message of the gospel is the power of God, then we are bringing something better to those that are in need. As I think of my friend, Jason, who is being strapped to a gurney, going through withdrawals, going to the hospital, who is screaming for help. Yes, he needs help from heroin. But he has a bigger problem. That he's disconnected from the God of the universe. And the healing that I can bring has eternal value. That can save him. That can bring him freedom. When we start looking at people's physical needs, we can do the uh, give a man a fish or teach a man to fish, can't we? I met your physical needs, and so here's a fish. You won't be hungry today. Well, then tomorrow comes, and there's more hunger. But if I can teach you to fish, you'll never be hungry again. You can translate that idea into suffering. I can meet this one need, but you're gonna, maybe you won't suffer for the day, but tomorrow there'll be more suffering. But if I take you to the one that heals, the one that reconnects, the one that endures, you will be able to push through the sufferings of this world and you will be connected to the Father. And my question today is, do you realize the gift that you have to bring this message to others in your world? We have the power 
that we're talking about taking dead people and making them alive again through the power of the gospel. That transforms lives. All these people that you know, friends, family, coworkers, people at sporting events, your kids' friends, your kids' friends' parents, you have that message. Who are you bringing this message to? Because if you don't understand that the world is broken and that it's hurting and is in need of this. And you know what's funny? We can live in the burbs and we can kind of act like everything's all together and things are good. But I meet with person after person after person whose life is a disaster. They just hide it a lot better. And they need this truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to press into your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for showing us more of who you are and what you're doing. I thank you for helping us understand that without you, we are spiritually bankrupt, that we do not have the ability to save ourselves, that we can't even walk, that we are fully reliant upon you for everything in our life. Lord, I ask that we would understand that those that are believers, that we have the great joy and privilege of taking this message to others that are hurting. That we would see where they are physically and understand that there's a spiritual connection to what's going on and that it is the fruit of what's happening in their spiritual life. That we would be bold and courageous like Peter and John. That you would use us in mighty ways to see this area transformed. That you would allow us access to people's lives so we can hear the brokenness of their lives and bring that truth. As I think about my friend Jason, he was just more honest about where he was. As he screamed, help me, help me. That there are people around us screaming for help. Let us be the people that bring that message forward. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.